Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we are being tainted by Nicholas Kaufman. Nicholas Kaufman is the author of seven novels, including the bestsellers 100 Fathoms Below and The Hungry Earth. His short fiction has appeared in Cemetery Dance, Black Static, Nightmare Magazine, Interzone, and others. In addition to his own original work, he has written for such properties as Zombies vs. Robots, The Rocketeer, and Warhammer. He lives in Brooklyn, New York with his wife and two ridiculous cats. You can visit him online at nicholaskaufman.com. Welcome to my nightmare, Nicholas. Hi, Josh. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, coming to you all the way from Brooklyn, New York. It's pretty exciting. It's across the country, and that's from where I used to hail thereabouts, a little bit up the river. But for folks who don't know, and for those who do, as a reminder on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I broadly define as living creatures and vital processes relevant to their writing. For this episode, we're going to talk about organic transformations so yes. nicholas what does that mean to you in a nutshell uh in a nutshell um i would say uh that this is a thread that has gone through most of my uh writing throughout my career uh there's a recurring theme uh in my work of and i didn't even actually notice this at the time uh, it's something that just sort of happened organically uh, but there's this recurring theme of people losing control of their own bodies to some other entity or intelligence or whatnot. Um, in my novella Chasing the Dragon, um, there's a there's a character, the dragon, uh, and everyone that she kills, uh, she is able to reanimate and control their dead bodies. Um, and it happens again in uh, in my short gothic novel In the Shadow of the Axe. There's a necromancer who can take over and control dead bodies and, and spirits and whatnot. Uh, and in my urban fantasy books for St. Martin's, uh, Dying is My Business and Dying Stay Dead, uh, the main villain uh, also has the power to reanimate and control the dead. So this is something that just kept sort of coming up uh, in my work. And I, I wonder why it is, because I'm not actually prone to disease myself. I don't suffer from epilepsy or anything that, that could make me feel like my body was out of my own control. But I guess it's something that really just got under my skin, for lack of a better term. Sure. Well, I think that's common to all of humanity, right? Like we don't have that much control over our bodies, even if it's little things, even for those of us, you and I were lucky enough to be healthy. Now, we know mm -hmm. at some point in time, we get old enough, there, things are going to start falling apart. So I think that's <laughs> pretty common. I feel like I'm already there. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens a little <laughs> more every year, sometimes every day. But I think that's pretty common to all of humans. So I don't think necessarily one would need to have a particular, say, infirmity to be able to tap into that as you have. But what's really interesting, so you mentioned initially, so it's in a sense a losing of control of mm -hmm. body, some sort of decay, that transformation. So your characters are these necromancers who are taking back control. So I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but... <laughs> I think that's a fascinating way to look at it. Um, uh, I should be paying you by the hour for this therapy session. Uh, I'll charge you. I'll, <laughs> I'll invoice you. 
Um, no, I think that's a great way to look at it. But of course, these are the bad guys. You know, these are the bad guys who are taking over. Uh, these are the villains who are taking over the bodies of other people. Um, although uh, in the uh, in the urban fantasy books, um, uh, the villain has uh, sort of a reason uh, to do so. Um, she's really very much just sort of a control freak. Uh, she doesn't like life. She doesn't like the noise that it makes. She doesn't like the the chaos it causes, and she just wants to basically be the queen of death, right? She she doesn't just want to kill people. She wants them to be under her control. I identify at least with the first part of that dealing with just the chaos of life and not always yeah. being a fan of that. I weirdly, um, I'm very accepting of anything that nature, what I consider to be nature. So the natural world minus humans. So if something like that happens, a uh, snowstorm, I almost never get upset, but when humans do thing that, that bother me for some reason, I'm like, this is not okay. So, well, there's I, definitely the yeah. sense that when a human does it, they should know better. Right. Yeah nature doesn't know better animals don't know better they just do what they do but when it comes to people we should know better we should we should be more responsible well do we truly know better or do we just like to think that we definitely have a level of consciousness and circumspection that most animals very few almost no animals have but at the same time we often don't use it <laughs> and we can definitely <laughs> be considered in some ways a part of nature although i do think we are we're like an addendum to nature. There's something else that's going on inside of us. But yeah, when you say that that character is the villain, I was I was identifying. I'm like, are you sure? It doesn't sound like a villain to me. But yeah, you don't get to take over other people's bodies. Yeah, I agree that's villainous. But the necromancer aspect, I'm actually fiddling with possibly writing a novel that is it's basically a Jewish necromancer and right delving in that world so yeah the way you frame it is kind of like this wanting to be queen of death because you don't accept the way just things are and and wondering if that is like a form of projection where it's like i don't want to die so i'm going to control other people's death but it doesn't matter because it's just a cool horror fiction concept on its own <laughs> thank you i i do think uh the best villains are are ones that are compelling and i think what makes them compelling usually is if they have a recognizable or sympathetic um reason for their villainy maybe sympathetic is too strong a word but it's a, a reason you can understand um uh, i think of um the great villains uh of our time and and uh, a lot of them are just sort of uh maniacs right i mean they're hard to understand uh, you can't really get into the mind of a Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. You can barely get into the mind of a, uh, a Hannibal Lecter, right. uh, even though these are sort of the, the the classic villains of our age. Yeah, but yeah, but like the, But then there are some interesting ones. You know, like um, in the movie Black Panther that came out recently, the 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 villain in that, Killmonger, um, he does some terrible things. He's not a good person, but his reasoning behind it. Um, is sympathetic. Like you can, you can see. Oh yeah, I understand why he would do this. He's upset that Wakanda didn't use its great power and influence to help more people. You can sure. get behind that. Sure. Maybe and not his methods, but you can get behind his his reasoning. Yeah, I like the challenge of writing the relatable quote bad guy. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of my protagonists people just don't like them. So, um, <laughs> and they and they tend to really like my my bad guys. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but you gotta, you gotta flip the script. I'm, I guess I just, I kind of <laughs> like it. I like it as I like making it hard to like the, well, it's almost like 
if somebody is charismatic, people let them get away with whatever. So the bad guys often have doing the wrong thing, but they're kind of cool and charismatic. And then the good guys I will have, they're doing quote the right thing, but they're just not that likable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a fun. Well, I mean, flawed characters are good characters too, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. if, there's, if your main character is unlikable, it's, it's probably because there's a deep flaw in there, but that flaw is important to the character. I agree. I agree hundred percent with that. So in terms of organic transformation, so I think the heart of all that is it's not like a transformation to like a better, more awesome thing, right? It's usually a, a decay and a devolution. We're not like, yes. oh, I, I'm upset with the fact that I'm, although, although just to contradict myself right there, when we're kids and we're turning, going through puberty in that, that can actually be a little bit upsetting to us and even to our parents. Oh, sure. So, Sure. But it's also something I remember as a child looking forward to and hoping would happen sooner rather than later. Um, it's amazing as children, uh, we are so eager to grow up, right? We're so eager to become adults. And then when we're adults, we kind of wish we had enjoyed our childhood a little bit more. Yeah. I and mean, that's half of what I think about. Oh, I remember that time when I didn't worry about anything. And obviously that's probably exaggerated. I'm sure. I mean, I used to literally believe in monsters in my closet. So that's not like a pleasant existence, really. <laughs> that's true. That's alarming. True. It was never fun to go to bed when you were scared of what, what, what was in the dark, but at the same time, man, that's, that's the fuel for your imagination, right? That's, that's what lit the match that, that, uh, that, that started the fire of, of being creative, of, of being, imaginative and when you look in the dark and you start to think what's in there that's all imagination and that that is so important to creative writers such as ourselves sure yeah imagination and based on some truths right like my take is that our fear of the dark was because i mean there were and in some places in the world there still are literal monsters usually large cats you know what I mean? So like we used to get eaten by those. So it kind of makes sense to be instinctually afraid. But yeah, as an adult, maybe not. Although, you know, home invasions or whatever, that's, I guess, the more realistic way of being afraid of the dark. But I think there is some like instinctual ancestral memory and just like be wary. You can't see. Right. Absolutely. I think you're spot on with instincts. And I mean, those, those go back, those they go way back and they're very, they're very strong. And of course uh, our ancestors looking for caves to, to be in uh, or any, any sort of uh, structure that, that could help them uh, be sheltered from the elements right. where they could sleep and eat and be protected but those caves are dark and they go, they go back pretty deep and you don't know what's in there. That's a legitimate fear. You don't know what's in there. It could be a bear. It could be a saber-toothed tiger. could be nothing, but the fear is there and the fear is there to protect you. And I think as horror writers, that's something we tap into uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, one, of the, one of the things that I like about the genre is that we can sort of approach those fears from a safe distance, right? We have the distance between us and the movie screen. We have the distance between us and the book page, right? It's the characters that we're following who are who are really taking the big risks, right? And we're just sort of uh, observing and being like, oh, wh how, what an interesting approach to this thing that terrifies me. Yeah, it's like we're either practicing or we're just kind of like, well, you know, I know during the pandemic and stuff like that, obviously that's a dark time. But I'm like, well, at least there's no Lovecraftian being that's trying to 
destroy my <laughs> universe, right? So it's not so bad. So oh, but, put, but you, I, 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 I see what you're trying to say, but man, you know, if, if there were a monster instead of a virus, instead of a pandemic, uh, at least there are ways to, you can think you can stop the monster and be done with it. Uh, no, this pandemic just feels endless. No, and that's a very common theme for folks who listen to Josh, Josh's Worst Nightmare. I'm more afraid of the little things and the big things. Like, all right, I get out of the woods, let's just say, and like, all right, I didn't run into any bears. I'm good. I'm in my car driving home. But like, if you're in Lyme disease country, like you are, you're like, that little tiny ass tick could be mm -hmm. right on my leg at any time. It's not I over. Gotta, I'm always on the lookout for ticks when I'm walking through parks and whatnot. You gotta, you gotta. I have a friend who had Lyme disease. It's not pretty. It's not a fun thing. Yeah. I, I would take rattlesnakes. We have rattlesnakes here. I just look, look, and I'm not like getting in my car and taking a shower and a rattlesnake drops out of my pant leg. Like that doesn't happen. It's over, you know, <laughs> because it's the decay. I mean, I think it's so the the organic transformation stuff, I think, I think it comes down to your, your take the, the thing that we're most afraid of what is the decay. It's the, yeah, yeah exactly. It's the progression towards annihilation i guess i guess all body horror can be traced back to the fear of death right or, or the fear of decay um uh, in my in my latest novel uh called the hungry earth which came out in october of last year again we're dealing with bodies being taken over by a foreign intelligence hmm. but at this time it's not magical it's hmm. not a necromancer or or what have you or or um it's actually it's a fungus hmm. uh and the spores are able to take over the people in this town uh and and then the fungus the fungal intelligence sort of uses them to spread the spores to more and more people um and it's all based on actual science mm -hmm. which is probably the truly scariest part of all is i kept the the fungus uh science absolutely accurate uh it's it's um fungi have not taken over human beings yet but they've taken over all manner of insects and arachnids Mm -hmm. And maybe it's only a matter of time, right? Until the spores start coming for us and, uh, and you know, funguses start growing inside our bodies the way they grow inside of cicadas or ants or what have you. And so I, that was really the jumping off point for that book. And it was, um, it was some scary, but fun research. I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah. The cordyceps fungus. We've talked about that a few times on the mm -hmm. podcast, because that is a fascinating thing. And personally, I welcome their takeover of humanity. I'm actually in favor of it. I think, I think it can't hurt, right? Compared to where right. we're I mean, going. We've, we've had a good run. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, the fungi will, will do better than we did. They've been around a lot longer. And they to a certain degree, we are already infested by fungi. I mean, not to get too graphic, but I had jock itch the other week and that's what that is. It's, jock, it's a kind of, it's just a fungus, you know, makes yeah, a same with athletes, red, but... red scratch. Yeah. Same thing. It's just like mm -hmm. a red scratchy kind of thing. And you know, there were literal mushrooms growing on me or anything like that, but uh, yeah, that's uh, so they're, they're there all the time. But yeah. so this is a question I have for you. And this is, I've, I've spoken to maybe even professionals about this, but so I, a lot of people would say, yeah, it's ultimately the fear of death. And for me, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I'm less afraid of death than I am of the slipping into the suffering and the decay. If it's just mm -hmm. like a mm -hmm. boom, what is there literally, do? there's literally nothing to be afraid of, right? You're no longer like, that's the time where you can stop worrying about everything, but right. it's just like, 
gradual just like whoa and then pain like that's the part i don't like exactly it's not a fear of death it's a fear of dying it's a fear of what's going to get you to the the threshold of death um because you're right death i mean depending on on what your personal uh, ideas are of, of what death is or what comes after uh, at the very least death is a really good sleep you know you're not you're not right. you're probably not going to be bothered by anything anymore no. uh, you're just you're, you're getting that a great night's sleep it just happens to last a really really long time but getting there, like, what's going to happen? Am I going to, you know, fall out a window? Am I going to be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger? Am I going to, or will it just be the decay of old age, where it's just indignity after indignity right. until finally there is the release of death itself? Right. Yeah. And that's the stuff that we freak out about. I mean, there is something in nature, though, that I think makes it so the worst things. And I don't want to downplay the world suffering or anything like that, but you know, when you get hurt really bad, I've never luckily been hurt really bad, but people who do, they tend to not feel it. Like whatever it is, it's like the adrenaline. Like if they get hit by a car, they, they just sort of don't feel it or they black out or people who are suffering from really severe, say even uh, dementia, like my grandmother had, they're kind of, I don't want to say blissfully, but they're not as aware of those terrible things happening to them so maybe there is a blessing and 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 maybe it's never that bad it's kind of more the premonition of it and the anxiety around it that's the real bad part i think the real the real sadness of death is when we think about the people that we are separated from yeah. whether they've gone on ahead of us or they're the people that we will leave behind mm -hmm. um that's that's the sad part uh other than that i mean uh I don't know. Like I said, it could just be really restful. Like it's maybe it's nothing itself to be uh, to be scared of. Yeah, I should probably do a whole podcast just on death. Yeah, I don't. There's a it's something in Eastern philosophy. Basically, there's they say, no, there's no such thing as death or birth. It's just like a cloud is neither born nor dies. Right. Like it's just water vapor comes. It kind of coalesces mm -hmm. as this thing. And it's like, oh, that cloud is dead or that cloud was born on January 5th. You know, so that's kind of more my take. And I think people are like, no, no, it really is the death thing. It's like, all right, how about this? You, you get to live a hundred years and, and whatever, or you get to live for, you know, 40,000 years, but you're gradually decaying into a slime mold where you're just right. a puddle. Do you want right. that? Most people would say, no, no, of course not. So it's not, not. it's, it's, uh, it's weird to think that there is a, an expiration date for all of us, but at the same time, it's like, maybe that's a good thing. It's, I mean, if you were, and I, and I know like a uh, vampire literature has explored this. It probably sucks like to a certain degree or like, all right, enough of this. My guess is that sure. Like if you have high quality of life, you probably want to keep going. But my guess is like after a few hundred years, you'd be like, you know what this, first of all, I've every person I've ever loved has died three, three right. times over. Right. Um, you see all these changes that are just going to be like unacceptable to you. I don't I think that's a torture in and of itself, probably. Right. And I already even just now uh, during this pandemic times when I've been sort of stuck at home so much, I'm already over the monotony of it all. And it's only been a couple of years. <laughs> like imagine the, the, the feeling of ennui you would have after hundreds of years of monotony of watching people around you going through the same cycles. You know, the uh, things that you've already figured out for yourself, you see other people figuring out over and over again, like it's brand new. I think mm -hmm. you just, you just go, you'd either go mad or you'd search for ways to end it.
yeah, or just become more and more horrible like the vampires. It's probably not something that is has to be a part of your psychology where you kind of become awful or whatever, but you, you're going to become awful just by living that life. And they're kind of living that they're not decaying. So long as they get to drink blood or whatever their mythos is and stay out of the sunlight, don't get stakes in your chest, that kind of thing. So they're avoiding the decay, but you know, it, it seems like more of a burden in their life than anything else. This is not what a, a price to pay. I mean, yeah. can you imagine living forever, right? Hundreds of years, and you never get to see the sun again. You're only out at night. You only that you're always cold. It's always dark. Um, the, you know, being in the sun is one of the great joys of life, and and to be robbed of that, um, I can't imagine. Uh, it would be awful. I don't think it would be worth it. I don't think it would be worth the price to have eternal life as a vampire. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we all got to choose, I bet most of us would be like, yeah, I want to be really completely healthy and I'll give it like 350 years or something like that. Like, I, I think that would end up being maybe the ideal, but I think whatever we got going as humans in the modern world, the ones who actually at least have access to, to more resources, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good run. I mean, I, I think of my grandparents and, you know, towards the end, they're kind of like, this is enough, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's so, true. this and, is just you know, the right amount of time. Generally, humanity is living longer than it has ever before, uh, yes. thanks to modern, modern medicine and hygiene and whatnot. Um, I mean, our bodies were basically built to live for about 30 years, which is why I think once we pass the age of 30, we start to get those aches and pains and we start to sort of uh, find things falling apart a bit. Um, but now we live to uh, 80, 90, 100. Um, and it's all thanks to modern medicine and hygiene and uh, a better understanding of how to take care of ourselves. Right. Well, how much do you think about the concern of one's organic transformation? Nice way of putting it is just the aesthetics, right? Almost a vanity. How much? So like, you know, there are certain things in aging that are not harmful, like having wrinkles on, on my skin is not bad for me, right? That's mm -hmm. just sort of the mm -hmm. elasticity going out of my, but it's like, oh, look at my wrinkles and stuff of like course. that. So there's the aspect that's you're literally dying. And then there's the aspect you're like, yeah, I just don't look as pretty. Right? I don't look as good, right? Um, you know, I've, I've been tempted at times to, to dye my hair and dye my beard huh. uh, because there's a lot more salt than pepper in them these days. <laughs> Uh, but then I think, you know what? No, I, I earned every one of these gray hairs. I'm, yeah. I'm going to wear them proudly. You know, I've lived a life and why, why should I disguise myself to look like I haven't lived the life that I've lived? Right. Yeah. When we're young, we want to be old. When we're old, we want to be young. We're never content with the way, the way things are. But there was this experience I had years ago. It was on psychedelic mushrooms in college and I would go out into the woods a lot. <laughs> And I spent a lot of time in nature. So I've always been accepting of the rhythms of nature and would see the beauty and the darkness and realizing they were the same. And it was towards the end of a mushroom trip where some people were really up, upset. And because of that, I had to deal with it and I got upset, whatever. But we were sitting in this little bridge over this stream creek in the autumn, and it was kind of sludgy and not at its peak of just flow and just sort of sludgy water and stuff like that. And the, the phrase we were saying was decay is okay. 
and isn't there something to that right well it, it's it's an important part of of the cycle of life i mean when i was studying um fungi for the hungry earth uh, one of the things i discovered is that there is a an enzyme in trees that makes them extremely difficult to decay i can't remember what it's called it begins with an l i think Lincoln? but fungi can do it no lingon something it doesn't matter <laughs> it might be lingon um yeah uh but fungi can decay it and the they did the the, the math and they realized that fungi weren't able to break down the lingon in trees after all these millions of years of trees on earth there would just be dead trees stacked uh hundreds of feet high that would be basically the surface of the earth would just be huh. stacks of dead trees at this point hmm. um so decay is enormously important to the life cycle right. of the planet and, and ecology and the environment and everything um it's just it's it's super important and it's if if our bodies didn't decay when we died uh we would be just there would just be stacks of dead bodies as high as those stacks of trees right so it's it's important and of course there's a whole that's a whole cycle of going back to the earth right we we become uh for lack of a better word food for the earth yeah fertilizer and then you know more more life grows from our from our decay yes it's well, I, it's fascinating it is fascinating and yeah i think you're spot on with that and i think that that might be what is so unsettling to humans is because we like to think that we're separate from nature and i went on a whole thing before that humans are separate from nature i would agree that we do live separately from nature we live in our heads what some people call the no sphere right we're living in these world of ideas and we do behaviors that are say very different in a forest than a beaver which might cut down a tree or whatever but i think the way in which we obviously are still a part of nature is yeah we are made of organic material we decay mm -hmm. and once upon a time just like for the rest of creatures that was an essential part of rebuilding the soil and and you can go back to a lot of folk horror ritual stuff. It's always about killing a human being for fertility purposes. I mean, that's you worship, you know, a God, but I think ultimately it was like you're returning material into the soil. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's not just that we are separate from nature because we're so up in our heads. Mm. I think that we have separated ourselves from nature Sure. Uh, even though we are very much a part of this planet, we're the only creatures on Earth who uh, charge ourselves money to live here. We're the only creatures on That's Earth right. who yeah. who uh, feel compelled to fill our time with labor that does nothing for our own survival. Right. And uh, we're the only creatures on Earth that feel like we need to uh, put put cloth over our bodies. Um, we have we've done so much to separate ourselves from the natural world that uh it's no wonder it feels like we're 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 separate from it we're the things we do are completely alien to the rest of the natural world yeah well i mean for other people's sake i put cloths over my body to avoid yeah. scaring people but that's that's for, <laughs> it's neither here nor there but yeah i think you're you're right and the there is some movement towards that there's the green burial stuff where it's like you're not put in this fancy box but there is something unsettling about that right there is a tradition behind you get the box and you do the official thing versus just like here just 
just going to dump you in the ground and a tree is going to grow into you. Although mm -hmm. I would like to be in one of those forests where they do plant a tree over you mm -hmm. and then your molecules go up into the tree. And then I want someone to eat that fruit so I can haunt them. That's my goal. <laughs> the haunted apple tree. Uh, well, you know, certainly in Jewish tradition, um, you're supposed to be buried either in a plain uh, pine box or or in a sheet, right? Because you are supposed to go back to the earth in Jewish tradition. Um, even though there's also this idea of being resurrected at the end of time when hmm. the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's a religion of, of contradictions. It is. But it's very much a part of, of the burial tradition in, in Judaism that like your body is supposed to, you're not supposed to even have uh, formaldehyde or any preservatives. You're really, you're just supposed to return to right. the earth. Right. And it's true. And obviously most, most Jews, at least, I don't know about the Orthodox or Hasidic and what they do exactly with their burials. But I do believe that a lot of the reason why there's Jews have funerals very quickly after people die is because they're not doing that preserving. Yes. Aspect. They just like, but usually it's still like there's people are still doing fancy coffins and stuff like that. I, I think. Well, it's like a status symbol, isn't it? Like if the fancier your coffin, the more, the more right. your family must have loved you. Right. Right. But it's a moot point anyway, because unless it's encased in cement or even if it is moisture gets in bacteria, you know, it's the decay happens. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's a gesture of, futility anyway but it might be that more and more people are accepting of transformation and decay and i think even little superficial things like more accepting more kind of elderly movie role stuff like there there are less and less and i wrote my novella Molina, and the characters are they're in their late 80s and a lot of people kept telling me how rare that is and it's like yeah i guess i guess it is and it's because people get i guess grossed out by that mostly because they themselves are like, shit, this is probably my future. But I think people are more open to that. And it's like, we, we can't resist it anyway. So we might as well not, not welcome. Like we're not trying to encourage anyone to commit suicide on podcast here, but no way you can't push against this stuff. Right. Um, you can't stay young forever and you probably don't want to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I certainly uh, cherish the wisdom and knowledge that has, has come with aging. Um, uh, so I, I don't think staying young forever would, would necessarily be a good thing. But speaking of an elderly um, protagonist, I happen to be reading a, a great ongoing comic series right now called Once in Future uh, by um, Kieran Gillen, who's a great comics writer. Uh, and the main character or one of the main characters uh, is this monster hunter, but she's also a grandmother in her seventies. And she's like, She's an absolute badass. Cool. Uh, and I think one of the things that really makes this comic so interesting is, th is that, is the fact that there's, there's a protagonist who is of an age that we rarely see mm -hmm. uh, in comic books or in much pop culture, um, unless they're making some sort of statement or something, right? But this is just sort of, she is what she is. And she's a 70-year-old grandma, and she's a kick-ass monster hunter, and it's so much fun. That's really cool. And I think that's a really positive sign. And yeah, I do think that, of all the isms, we're still working on them, but made a lot of progress with racism, sexism. I think ageism, that's still unfortunately going strong. And I think it does come down to these folks are more at an advanced stage of organic transformation. Let's just put it that way. And 
maybe the less we resist that, the more open we'll be because in so many of our cultures and still to a certain degree, a lot of cultures today, but less and less revere the elders. They're the ones who mm-hmm. know this stuff. And now they, oh, that irrelevant person's like, no, these are the historians. These are the link to how we were. And, and yeah, so that's cool to hear about that in that book, in the comic. I think as our generation, I think you're of the same generation I am, uh, Generation X. Right. Um, uh, as our generation ages, I think we will see more representation in popular culture. Um, but I think it's always there's it's always going to be targeted to the 18 to 35 range, yeah. no matter what, because uh, yeah. because you it's hard to have a fast and fast and furious movie, but everyone is 70 years old or whatever. Right. Well, I would see that. <laughs> I'd love that. I mean, they wouldn't have to be as cautious, right? It's like, Hey man, whatever. Let's just, uh, I don't have that much longer on this earth anyway. Let's let's drift or whatever they do. Or, or, or would they just drive really slowly with the blinker on? <laughs> That's true. That would be less exciting. <laughs> so maybe there's a reason. So maybe not in everything, maybe there's a reason sometimes. <laughs> To have some ageism, but uh, yeah. Um, so much of it is based on uh, income, right? Who has the spendable income? And so they think 18 to 35 year olds have that spendable income. But retiree, older people and retirees have, have income, to, well, not income, but they have money, right? And so I think it's smart to, uh, you know, to market to them as well. I agree. I'm, I'm fully on board with that. And I'm fully on board with organic transformation. So I'm really glad, Nick, you could come on the podcast. Before you go, tell folks what you might be working on right now and remind folks where they can find your stuff. Sure. Uh, I'm working on the sequel to The Hungry Earth Now. Um, This one, instead of dealing with fungi, now is actually dealing with snakes. So that's also been really fun to to research. Um, And uh, you can find my books, uh, as I like to say, wherever fine books are sold, all the usual suspects. Uh, if it's not in your bookstore, you can order them uh, or you can order them from your favorite online real t- retailer. Uh, and you can find me at nicholaskaufman.com. And that's uh, that's two ends at the end of Kaufman, uh, just to trip you up. Uh, no, that's, that's actually how my name is spelled, uh, but uh, it trips up a lot of people. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I'm on all sorts of social media and stuff. Come, come say hi. Great. Well, thanks again, Nicholas. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really... Uh, fun and weirdly disturbing conversation (laughs) that's my only purpose in life thanks for taking a trip with me through josh's worst nightmare where i josh schlossberg survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by denver horror collective if you don't want to miss any of the great and sometimes disturbing weekly episodes i've got planned for you Be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh's Worst Nightmare.com. Yours darkly, 
Josh Schlossberg. <laughs>